Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. You know, I, full disclosure, uh, I've had a hard time getting into the Christmas season this year. Uh, I, I think part of that is that, uh, for instance, yesterday in our neighborhood, uh, we had a Christmas parade, and it felt like a July 4th parade. Uh, we had the Christmas decorations, but literally everyone's wearing shorts and t-shirts. You with me on that, right? Like joy to the world. I'm supposed to hear that in my truck with like the heater going, and instead it's like windows down. Like I feel like I'm, you know, in the summertime blaring music driving around town. But that song, Joy to the World, that, that, we, that we sang this morning, you know that song was not written as a Christmas song? In fact, that song is more about the second coming of Christ than the first coming of Christ in Bethlehem. It was written by a guy named Isaac Watts, and it was written uh, really as a paraphrase of one of the Psalms. And it was written years and years and years ago, and that paraphrase was eventually put to music, and now it's become one of the Christmas classics. And like many of the Christmas songs this time of year, we love to sing them, and we will sing them, but we never really take time to consider what it is that it's saying. And even in a song like joy to the world, we consider the glory of his righteousness, and then it says there, and the wonders of his love. Whether it was Isaac Watts reflecting on a psalm, or even today as we consider the Christmas story, we recognize that this season of Christmas is one in which is a season of love. If you've been with us in the last couple of weeks, you know we're in this series, Something Greater, and it's an Advent series. That word Advent, it means expectation or anticipation, and we're trying to focus our hearts and focus our lives in this Christmas season about really what the true meaning of Christmas is about, and that is the arrival of Jesus and all the difference that that makes in our lives. And so uh, last week, if you're here, we talked about hope. If you remember, hope is an anchor to our soul, biblical hope because of who Christ is and what he did. It's a hope that carries us regardless of the circumstances of our life. And today we're going to center in on love. Now, about five weeks ago, uh, we talked uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. If you were here, I hope you remember that. Uh, it is the, uh, it's kind of the pinnacle chapter on love in the Bible. Paul there talked about what love is and what love isn't. You remember that? Right? Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. Um, love keeps no record of wrongs, right? It, it, it explained to us what love is and what love isn't. Well, today we, I want us to consider the reality of this season and the nature of love and how this story of Christ's coming truly is an expression of extravagant love for us. And it should make all the difference in our world today that we can recognize, regardless of how we even feel about ourselves today, that God's love for us is absolutely real and he has revealed that and how he has expressed that love. Today in John chapter 3, we're going to work through a passage that is of great familiarity. But I believe there's not a passage that better fully captures the love of God for us in this season than John chapter 3. So I want to invite you to stand all across this room. As we stand to honor the reading of God's word, we're going to read in verse 16 through verse 18. It says, For God loved the world in this way. That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, as we position ourselves now to receive your word, I pray that Spirit of God, that you would speak clearly and deeply into our lives today. Lord, we know that we spend most of our week talking to ourselves about life and about our experiences and situations that we face. But God, we recognize right now we don't need to talk to ourselves. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from you on direction about who we are and how we navigate life. So God, I pray that you would help us today to clear distractions and obstacles. You would allow us to focus with sincerity, to understand the extravagant love that you have shown towards us. Spirit of God, would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, as we navigate... This Advent sermon on love, the anticipation of Christ's arrival. My hope today as we consider John chapter 3 and really the overall narrative of God's story of redemption, that we would recognize our takeaway today that Christ's sacrifice is the greatest love the world can ever know. That Christ's sacrifice is the greatest love the world can ever know. And And I want you to see today as we center in on John chapter 3, although not a traditional Christmas passage, I I hope today that you'll see that that when we say God loved the world in this way or for, for God so loved the world, that we will recognize that that love was not just in a moment of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but it was a part of God's story of love for his creation. I want you to consider with me for a moment. When has been the moment in your life where you have felt love more than any other? And when I say that, I'm not asking you to consider when you have felt love on the receiving end, but when has been that moment in your life when love just exploded, the emotion of love exploded in your heart in light of that situation? Maybe for you, it was in helping someone in a time of need in their life, and you were able to be used by God to step in. And in that moment when you saw their need met, there was just an explosion of love in your heart that you felt love for this person in seeing that need met. Sorry, that, that need met, yeah. Maybe for you it was standing at an altar, committing your vows to someone. And in that moment, in the significance of that moment, there was such love in your heart as you were giving your life to someone. Maybe for you it was holding that newborn baby, right? In the late hours of the night where the hospital had been shut down for the evening, everyone was doing their own thing, going their own way. The only noise you heard in the hospital was the pitter-patter of nurses going room to room. And where everyone else was sleeping, you were wide awake holding that baby, staring into the depths of its eyes, and just love had just exploded in your heart. 
There's all kinds of moments in life where we can experience that type of love, to feel that love in our hearts. No doubt Mary must have felt that love on that night in Bethlehem. In fact, it tells us that when the shepherds came and they reported to Mary and others all that had happened with the angels appearing in the sky, it says that that Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. I just feel in that moment as she held that precious baby and she was hearing these reports of all the activity that God was doing around the birth of this child that no doubt love had to explode in her heart. But the truth is, love is not just something to be felt, love is something to express, right? We recognize that on like a Valentine's Day where we desire to express love through a gift. Maybe today you could consider What's been the moment in your life where you have expressed love the most? Where love wasn't just a feeling that you felt, but a moment in your life where you recognized you were able to express that self-sacrificial giving into someone's life. I think a great moment that we see in life where people are able to express love is maybe not in the holding of a child, but in the choosing of a child. Say, Michael, what do, you, what do you mean by that in the choosing of the child? Well, for some of you in here, you've been able to walk through the process of adoption and you have expressed extravagant love into the life of a child. You recognize today that an adoption, adoption is the choice by an individual or a couple to completely reorient their lives. It's a choice on the behalf of a couple to sacrifice by investing for some tens of thousands of dollars to, to bring a child into their home. It's the willingness to, to, to bring this child into your family that may be coming with all sorts of trauma in their past. It is going to bring significant challenges in the days ahead. But it's a choice. And it's a choice that is no doubt motivated by love. God understands this type of love. In fact, when we look at the unfolding story of redemption, we see that God expressed this type of love in a choice. You see, in the Old Testament, we find that that God would write this story through the choosing of people. And specifically, it would start with one man, a man named Abram. And it tells us later on, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, later on, as generations have gone by, God would give clarity to these people that he was choosing. And he would say that he had set his heart on them. And that he had chosen them, not because they were more numerous than all the people, but in fact because they were fewer. And it tells us in verse 6, and, I'm sorry, in 7 and 8 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says, Because the Lord loved you. And so this journey with God and his people, the Israelites... The scripture is clear that it was a choice from God, but it was a choice that was motivated by love. And this adoption, in a sense, this relationship of God choosing his people, it began with this covenant with this man named Abraham. If you have your Bible in front of you, I invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to spend a little bit of time there, lay a foundation, and then we'll go back to John chapter 3. Again, if you've been with us in this series, 
We've been talking about how Jesus is something greater and how he has truly been the fulfillment of these significant moments in the Old Testament. These moments that the Bible refers to as covenants, these commitments between God and people. We talked week one, Mark did, about the Edemic covenant. Last week we talked about the Noahic covenant, how God had made this commitment that there would no longer be an earthly judgment for sin through a worldwide flood. We talked about how that was good, but what was greater was that Christ was coming not to take care of our earthly judgment, but to take care of our eternal judgment, to be that sacrifice once and for all. And today I want us to consider this act of love and God's unfolding story through this Abrahamic covenant, this relationship where God committed to Abraham that he was going to be their God and they were going to be his people and that he was going to make them into a great nation with many descendants. So let's read here in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I know for many in here that have walked through that process of adoption, you chose to love that child before you ever met them. You chose to love that child before you ever held them in your hands. But in that moment that you did, in the explosion of love in your heart, and you choosing to take it in this child, You'll never forget those first moments, will you? And in a sense, we almost see this first moment of, of God and Abram, and, and we see this explosion of love in his heart and this commitment to these people that I'm going to be dad. I'm going to be your heavenly father, and you're going to be my children. And we look here in this covenant commitment that he makes with them. He says, listen, um, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It's the implication that there is a land that I'm going to give you. We recognize that as the promised land that they will go to one day. He says here, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And you're going to be a great blessing. To those who bless you, I'm going to bless. And to those who curse you, there will be consequences. When we look at the Abrahamic covenant, we see God's promise to strengthen them, to increase them, to protect them, to shelter them. We hear words like this and we understand that those are expressions of love. And again, God's choice here in choosing these people was on no action. It was because of no action on their part. They brought nothing to the table. There is nothing that they had done to earn this adoption. Nothing that they had done to deserve it. It was simply an expression of God's love as he was writing this story of redemption in his sovereign and providential actions. And if you see there in this covenant that he makes with them, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have all these descendants. It was for a reason. And we see it there at the end of verse 3, don't we? What does he tell them? Why is he doing this for them? Look at what he says there at the end of verse 3. And that all the peoples on earth, what? Will be blessed through you. God's saying, I'm doing all of this. And in doing all of this, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. 
We understand that in the nature of this covenant relationship that God would have with his people, that his desire is that Israel would go and teach others about him. And so we see Israel as this nation of priests and prophets and missionaries to the world. His intent was that, was that Israel would be a distinct people. That their lives would be markedly different than all these other nations. And so when the nations looked at Israel, they would understand what it looks like when Yahweh is your God. They would be a light to the nations. And when we walk through this story of redemption and this unfolding of the Old Testament, we see over and over again how they understood this and how this played out. As they would be delivered from Egypt, from the slavery of Egypt, it tells us that there was a mixed multitude who would come out. Meaning it wasn't just the Jews, that there were others. There were non-Jews who were following Yahweh. We look at the Psalms, and we see these moments of praise that reflected a clear understanding of God's chosen people to be this light, this blessing to the nations. Psalm 67, listen carefully to this. David writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Do you hear that? Say, God, this is what we desire. We desire to be blessed by you. We want to receive your grace. We want you, to your face to shine upon us. We desire your favor in our life. That seems like a very self-centered prayer, doesn't it? But listen to what it says. So that... Here's the reason why I'm asking God for you to bless me. So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Psalm 96, sing, to the, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. There was a clear understanding. We have been chosen by God. We have been the recipients of his love to be adopted into his family. Why? So that we can bless the nations. You go through the Old Testament, you see these, uh, these, these non-Jewish people that play a significant role in the story of God. People like Melchizedek and Jethro and Balaam and Rahab and Ruth. You think about Rahab when the spies show up in the promised land and she says, wait a bit, your God is Yahweh. Your God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a clear understanding from the nations of who these people were and who their God was. We think about Jonah called to go to the Ninevites. Why? To preach repentance, that they would return to God, that these people would turn to Yahweh as their God. Why? To bless the nations. And the reality is this. We look at this Old Testament unfolding of how God was using these people to be a blessing to the nations. And hear me today, that still applies to you and me today. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's been that moment in your life where you've placed your faith and your trust in him. The same call is on our life. The same call. It tells us in the New Testament, right, that we should live in such a way that people would see our good works and do what? To glorify God in heaven. Right, that we would live in such a way that we would be a light to our neighborhoods. We would be a light to our workplace. We would be a light on our teams. We would be a light in our community. We would be a light to the nations. That means if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, you have an incredible purpose on your life. That you would live in such a way that you are a light to the nations. And this begins here in Genesis 12 in this Abrahamic covenant. And hear me today, it was good, wasn't it? 
It was good that in God's love for them that he had chosen them to bless the nations through them. But hear me today, it wasn't perfect. Now listen carefully here to why I say this. It wasn't perfect, and, and it wasn't perfect not on God's end, but on the people's end. It wasn't perfect because the people didn't keep this covenant. In fact, when we look at the Old Testament, what we find over and over again is that the Jews didn't keep their end of the bargain, did they? While God had called them to be a light to the people of the world, what we find is that over and over again, they became like the people of the world. Their lives were marked by the worship of false gods and by immorality. Their lives often reflected caring for themselves more than God or others. And as this story unfolds, we see not only are they not keeping up their end of the bargain, but as this story unfolds, we understand that although the Abrahamic covenant is good, there is something greater that's a part of it. There is something greater. Because as this story is unfolding, there is a recognition that in this covenant that God made with his people, that through them all the nations would be blessed. When they say through him or through them, it was an understanding of there was one who would come that would make all things right. And it began in anticipation for 2,000 years of wondering, who would this one be? Who would this one be that Moses would say, there is a prophet that is coming after me that is greater than me? It is the one to which they longed to see, the one who would come and would rescue God's people from all of their trials and troubles. And while we look to the Abrahamic covenant and we recognize that it was good that God had chosen these people, we recognize that what was greater was the one that would come through these people. The Messiah who would come to save people from themselves. And so for 2,000 years, from Genesis chapter 12 to a baby showing up in a manger. 2,000 years, no doubt, of people trying life on their own way and returning to God only to do it all over again. 2,000 years of people wondering if God had forgotten them. 2,000 years of people questioning if God had forgotten his promise to Abraham. And there in Bethlehem, a baby shows up. And Mary treasures up all these things in her heart, and she ponders all that had taken place. Why? Because Mary understood that something greater had come. You go to the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative, and there is incredible intentionality that I don't want you to miss today. I don't want you to miss that when we say that Christ's sacrifice is the greatest love that the world can ever know, I don't want you to miss that it wasn't just a, a moment of expression of love in a, in a moment of time, but it was a part of an unfolding story of love. And so in Luke chapter 1, when Luke is laying out for us the story of what God did when he took on flesh and came to live among us, that it would come through a young teenage girl, a virgin, it tells us in verse 26 and 27 of Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We continue to see this lineage is 
chapter 2, where we see from Joseph, it tells us in verse 4 and 5, Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And what we recognize is as, as this Christmas story is unfolding of this child who is going to come, that the gospel writers are intentional to help you understand that this is a part of a story that started thousands of years ago. And that God, as I said, in his sovereignty and his providential actions is writing this story to unfold in a way that truly the world would see the love of God. When we look at the first and second chapters of Luke, we see places and people like Galilee and Nazareth and David and Judea, the city of David, Bethlehem, the house and family line of David. All these things are given to you to recognize the significance that it was good, that Abrahamic covenant, but what was greater was the one that was coming from that covenant. And that one who was to come had now come. In the book of Matthew, as Matthew is writing his gospel story, he has an intended audience, right? Students, you with me? Right? When you're writing a letter to someone, you have an intended audience, right? Someone that you want them to make sure that you know or they know you're writing to them specifically. And what you say is going to make sense to them. In the Gospel of Matthew, he is writing to a Jewish audience. People who understood who they were as being a part of Abraham's lineage. And as he's writing to them, he wants them to know that this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the one that the Abrahamic covenant was speaking to. That he is from the line, not just of David, but of Abraham. And so if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you can turn there if you want, you don't have to. But in Matthew chapter 1, from the very beginning, he begins his book. And it starts with Abraham. And in verse 17, he's going to summarize. He's going to say, from Abraham to King David, there were 14 generations. And from King David to the Babylonian exile, there was 14 generations. And from the Babylonian exile to Jesus, there were 14 generations. And he is showing you that Jesus is the something greater. One scholar wrote this, Jesus Christ is the ultimate reason why God chose Israel to be his special people. God did not need to have a chosen people, but he decided to do it that way. Jesus had to come from some nation of people, and God chose Israel. And so when we go into this Christmas season, I, my hope today is not to give you a history lesson from the Old Testament. But my hope today is when we recognize that we go into the season with an anticipation of Jesus' arrival, of his stepping out of heaven and stepping onto this earth to wrapping himself in flesh, that we come into this season with the understanding that the arrival of Christ is just the continuation of this love story that God is writing to his creation. Are you with me today? That this is more than just a moment to celebrate in a season. This is the unfolding of God's plan, and a plan that was motivated by love. And so he tells them that, listen, through this people, you will be a blessing to the people of the world. And on the backside, we see a conversation with Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. A man who was a teacher of the law, who understood the law, but also understood the significance of Genesis chapter 12. He understood the significance of what it means to be of the people of Abraham. He understood what it means to consider with anticipation a Messiah who would come. 
And Jesus has now grown and he's teaching with authority and he's doing these signs and wonders and people are asking questions. Who is this man? Could it be the one? And Nicodemus, it says, approaches him and they begin a conversation. And there in Genesis 12, well, it tells us that they would be a blessing to the world. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in John chapter 3, in verse 16. And I pray today with the understanding that we have from Genesis chapter 12 that this first part of 16 takes on even more weight today in a good way. For God loved the world in this way. God loved the world in this way. How did he love the world? That he gave his one and only son. So it helps us to see with crystal clarity of this love story that's unfolding. It helps us to see with crystal clarity that Mary pondering these things as she holds this newborn baby that is a recognition of the explosion of God's love. What? For the world. Today I want you to consider two brief things here from John chapter 3. The first one is just the recognition of God's love and what that love means for this season to understand that it's a love that gives. It's a love that gives. I want you to notice here that Jesus in this conversation with Nicodemus, he doesn't say at the moment, listen, for God loves the world in this way. He made a promise to Abraham. Could he have said that? Absolutely. Absolutely, God loved the world in him making this promise to Abraham. Why? Because in this promise, this love commitment to Abraham, they were going to be a blessing to the world. But here Jesus understands, as he said in Matthew chapter 12, that he was greater than the prophets. He was greater than the temple. He was greater than the king. He recognizes who he is. That Listen, God loved the world in this way. Not just that he made a promise. Listen, a promise is good. You know what's great? A fulfilled promise. And Jesus knows he is the fulfillment of that promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12. His love led him to choose the Israelites. And it is that same love that would have him send his son to come and to experience all the struggles of this world, to experience the life in a fallen, sinful world and all that came with it. But it was a love, a love that gives, a love that expressed itself in self-sacrifice. And so in this season of anticipation, we wait with a recognition of a love that took action in sending Jesus. Why? To come for the world. And that means to come for you. And it means today that in light of this season, regardless of the joy that you may be bringing into this season or the doubt and dread that you may be bringing into this season, here's what you can plant a flag on today. Regardless of how you feel, you cannot say that you're walking into this season without being loved. Because God loved the world in this way. God loved you in this way. That this one that was coming, that Mary would hold and treasure and ponder, was coming as an expression of love. It's a love that gives. The second thing I want us to see, and last thing here, it's not just a love that gives, but it's a love that rescues. 
we see here why he had come. The end of verse 16, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Here's what I love about this moment of Jesus with Nicodemus and in God's grace has given it to us to see thousands of years later that Jesus is giving crystal clarity to why this love had come. Clarity is an important thing, isn't it? Clarity is an important thing in a relationship. It's an important thing in a friendship. It's an important thing in your finances. Let me tell you where else clarity is important in doing a puzzle. You think, Michael, that doesn't make sense. Let me explain. So several months ago, we had a staff development day. We brought in this three-star general in the Army. If that doesn't make any sense to you, that means he's a big, bad dude. All right? He was actually in charge of the National Guard during the... uh, Katrina recovery. So just imagine the amount of leadership that that would take to give leadership to that entire process over the National Guard. Man who had met with presidents and flown on Air Force One, just an incredible. He's one of those guys that you experience, you're like, you just start talking and I'm just going to listen. I don't have anywhere to go. You just tell me story after story after story. You met people like that before, right? And he's investing into our team and telling these incredible stories and giving us great leadership principles to help us grow as a staff. And he was telling these stories along the way. And here's this man that I incredibly admire. And all of a sudden he tells the story. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. He said, man, my family, they love to do puzzles. They really enjoy doing puzzles. And one of the things I love to do is to switch the box tops on puzzles. How awesome is that? Now some of you are like, Michael, you're a terrible person. And maybe I am, but I think it's awesome. Abby enjoys puzzles. Our kids enjoy puzzles. What kind of husband would I be if I said, hey, babe, for Christmas this year, I got you this new puzzle. And she didn't know that I had bought two puzzles and I switched the box tops on them. And so she got there on the dining room table and she poured out all these pieces and she began to separate the edge pieces and found the four corner pieces and then began to group all the others up by colors. And and then she took that box top and she stood it up and she looked at that picture and she looked at those pieces and she just began to work. And how long do you think it would take before we'd be having a pretty serious conversation? Probably not long, right? Why? Why? Because pieces are just pieces. And if I don't have clarity how these pieces go together, life's going to be real difficult. And here's the gift of this passage. Jesus gives you the box top. Right? We, can all, we can talk about Christmas and being a season of love, and we should. But Jesus here gives you the box top on why the Christmas season truly is a season of love. Because the reality is, for some of you in here today, and I'm talking to you, you've been living life one puzzle piece at a time. There is no overarching direction to your life other than, I hope this piece of today fits with the piece of tomorrow. And I hope the day after that and the day after that, I can just kind of piece these things together, and I hope it turns out okay. Let me just make an observation real quick. That's a miserable way to live life. But I want you to see today that there is a love that rescues. 
There is a love that gives you the box top on why all these pieces exist in the first place. And Jesus says, listen, I came so that everyone who believes in me would not perish but have everlasting life. And that those that don't believe in me, they stand condemned before God. But that those who do believe, that they are no longer condemned. And I love what it says, through him. Jesus' sacrifice is the greatest love the world can ever know. It was a part of this unfolding story of something that was good, but Jesus shows that he is something greater. He is the fulfillment of it. He is the one who would bless the nations. He is the one through which the peoples of the world would know God. And that God loved the world in this way. Today, I hope for you that if you're here and you've been living life just one puzzle piece at a time, trying to figure this thing out, trying not to mess up too bad, there's a day through the gift of the Spirit of God and through his word that you would see with crystal clarity that, listen, God extravagantly loves you. And he has made a way for you not just to know him, but to be a part of his family. And today, you no longer have to live life one puzzle piece at a time, but you can understand the picture of what God is doing here and that's that he created you and that even though you've rebelled against him and chosen to do life your own way, he loves you more. And that today, you can turn to him by faith to believe in that sacrifice and his death, burial, and resurrection, that he came to live a life that we should have lived and he died a death that we should have died. And in dying that death, he paid the penalty for our sin, meaning that we are no longer in condemnation before him. But now the Bible says we are no longer a slave, but we are a child of God. The day for some of you, you need to quit looking at the puzzle pieces and you need to look to the box top and you need to place your faith and your trust in him. And some of you today, you're a follower of Christ, but in this season, it's just been a hard season. Maybe when I say season, maybe I'm not just talking about the next last few weeks. I'm talking about the last few years, maybe the last 10 years. And you've wrestled because of the relationships in your life that have gone south. The goals that you've set that have not come to fruition. And it's left you in a place of wondering, not just does God even notice me, but does God still love me? And I pray today that you would know that God loves the world in this way. God loves you in this way, that he sent Christ for you. And as we go into this Christmas season, we would go into it with the recognition of God's love for us. And in turn, it would stir our hearts to love others well. Would you bow your heads with me today? Right now in the silence of this moment. I just want you to consider the most incredible love story that's ever been written. And even when we go back to the beginning, we see that it was a story that 
began, its origin is a, it's a story of love. And in the pinnacle moment of this story is the author and knowing that none of the characters in the story would be able to find freedom and forgiveness on their own, that the author would send his own son into the story. And that author would come, I'm sorry, that son of the author would come in a humble way in a manger. Just as we sang about today, he was coming as a king. A king who would come to rescue his people. And the reality is, is that story is still being written today. And right now in this moment, the trajectory of your story can change. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe today you just need to consider for a moment again the love that God has shown towards you. Regardless of circumstances and situations, you just be reminded today of God's deep and abiding affectionate love for you. Father, today, we recognize this love story that you're writing. And Lord, help us in the season where we can get caught up with so many different distractions, so many different things that we can put our hope in. I pray, God, that our affection for you would grow as we truly consider and ponder what it meant that the author himself was coming into our story. He was coming not just to hang out, not just to spend time, but was coming to rescue us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. Lord, help us today to walk with that anticipation that is fueled by understanding your love for us and our love for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104, and we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.